welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is john cohen from toro real estate partners welcome john Thank you for having me Ramo. I'm um, excited to be here. Thanks for being on the show. A little bit about John. Co-founded Toro Real Estate Partners in 2015. John's focus is on strategic direction of the company, formulation of investment strategy, investor development and acquisition and dispositions. He has been investing in real estate since 2010 and focusing on deals where he can add tremendous value. Since starting in real estate, he has been involved in over 500 million in various real estate transactions. John started the podcast the real estate investing experience to give back to the real estate community with that john would you like to add anything to your background um, no not much uh, you know i actually had a background uh, prior to real estate i was in finance i was a financial advisor um and i hated that job and i always i always had a passion for real estate while i was a financial advisor i was investing in real estate so i decided at the end of that career uh to quit cuz i wanted to be a full-time investor but uh other than that uh not much i think you did a great job uh, you know given the background yeah thank you so how did you get to start into real estate and multifamily awesome question so uh, i got started in real estate how most people do so for the most part while i was working i just started reading a ton of books and and watching a lot of webinars and and just i just got my hands on anything you know from fix and flips to tax deeds to notes and i just educated myself as much as i could and then i i actually fell in love with tax deeds because the big you know at that point in time it was extremely cost effective you know i could use my own money while i was working it wasn't as a intensive of a job where you had to be there like a fix and flip you have to monitor the project or a multifamily syndication it, it was easy right you bought a property for the back taxes and then you you sort of you have to figure it out after that but i was able to do it while i was working full time after i fell in love with that and i just started you know randomly buying some stuff here and there uh what really made me fall in love was I was actually at a rooftop in New York City at a real estate event and a kid from Pennsylvania and Philadelphia came over to me with a stack of papers probably about an inch thick and he said if you see any properties in here you like you can buy it so i was flipping through the book and i was just blown away and i mean you could buy a single family house for 6 grand 5 grand 12 grand uh, and i just said you know how are you buying these so cheap and he said well i bought them all at tax auction and i was like ah there it is so it was just a writing on the wall and that's what really made me fall in love of real estate prior to that it was just sort of a hobby you know I, i saw some family members who were you know my grandfather had a building that he rented out and it was extremely successful and you, you know you read about it and you just see people doing it and at that point in time that was sort of one of the aha moments i had just falling in love with the tax deeds and seeing that you know you can do this with you know very little to you know very little your own money and i was able to acquire about 150 houses while i was doing that and then the transition into multifamily was you know while i was doing that i ended up you know getting my real estate license since you know doing sales uh, rentals I was doing everything in New York and uh, I was at a vision of commercial real estate so I remember vividly the first interview I sat down at uh, I was sitting down and and I was actually it was an uncle an uncle's friend of mine who had a commercial real estate company and he basically said why do you want to do this and what do you want to do and instantaneously just I said well I want to sell big buildings and make a lot of money and uh, his eyes like just looked at me he's like you you have so much to learn you know it's not that easy 
uh, simultaneous, there's a lot of product classes. You know, you have office space, you have office leasing, you have investment sales, you have industrial, I mean, triple net lease. There was a, a million products. So he said, you do a little bit more education. So I went online, typed it in and, and a Dave Lindahl book actually came up and that was multifamily focused. So I just started interviewing at more commercial real estate companies. And then I ended up sitting at Marcus and Millichap and I wanted to do industrial warehouse conversions. And my boss at the time said, well, how much money do you have in the bank? And I said, I told him the answer. He said, how long will that last you? I said, well, just everything I've done, you know, I always keep about two years of reserves in the bank. At that point in time, I was living at home. I had very low expenses. And uh, he said, what if I was able to convince you to do multifamily sales? And I was like, well, you know, there's nothing really attractive about that. And he said, what if you were able to do the same amount of commissions, but instead of waiting three years for a building to go, you know, buy to sell, it'll take you three months. And I was like, all right, now you're speaking my language. So he convinced me to do multifamily. And I started doing multifamily investment sales for Marcus and Millichap. And our specialty was, you know, six to 10, six to 12 unit buildings in Bushwick and Queens. And it was phenomenal. I mean, the team I was on, you know, we, we ended up selling about $28 million worth of real estate my first year. And, uh, I just fell in love. And then while I was doing that, that's when I started putting offers out on my family. So that was sort of the whole transition from, you know, the $150 tax deed properties to, you know, whole, you know, millions of dollars of uh, multifamily uh, real estate. So I guess those are tax deed properties are single families. Yes. Uh, for the most part, uh, there was some commercial property. There were some two families and stuff like that, but for the most part and vacant land. Um, but for the most part, it was all, you know, either single family or knockdowns or vacant land. So, okay. So what are the few benefits with the buying like those kind of properties? So when I first started buying them, uh, it was because, like I said, I had a full-time job and I was able to take my money and buy them. So the benefits are you can buy property for pretty cheap. Now with pretty cheap comes all the risks associated with it. When I was buying in Philadelphia, you actually were able to use cash and you were able to only put down 10%. That has since changed. And then it became, you know, you had to have bank checks and no longer cash. So it's changed a lot. So I, I just want to tell everybody so they don't just, you know, hear the podcast and go out and say, wow, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But no. So when I first started, uh, one of the benefits was, you know, I was able to go to an auction, buy four, five, six properties. Let's just say the average price was in and around four or five grand. I only had to put down 10%. So I'd buy four, five, uh, four or five properties. I'd put down 500 bucks a property, $2,500. And I went to go look at the properties and I was like, wow, okay. You know, you can get involved with, you know, a small down payment. And then the, you know, then Pandora's box opens up, right? And then you find out that property doesn't have, you know, no, no more plumbing in it. There's no roofs, there's no floors. And, and then you figure it out, but, but you can get involved and at least get your feet wet for, for, you know, not a lot of money. Right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So and you work for Marcus and Millichap as commercial broker. So how that experience is helping in your multifamily journey? Um. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that it helped was when I was cold calling and, and talking to buyers and sellers, and then we would get a listing and I'd underwrite the deal, you know, I'd use the expenses and the income and I'd put it all in a nice model. It, it gave you an understanding of how the business works, right? It gave you an understanding of income. It gave you understanding of expenses and values. And then it was just picking the brains of buyers and sellers and, you know, hey, why are you buying this? What are you looking to do? And, and you sort of see people's business plans unfold. And then the defining moment is there was one property that was bought and sold three times in a year. And every single time, and the next guy made money. And then the next guy sold it to, you know, someone that was just going to hold it. So when I saw that, I, you know, 
I was just picking their brains and people were telling me what they were doing. And then I just saw the business plans unfold and I was actually able to see properties go full cycle where a guy bought a a 100% rent stabilized apartment, got six tenants out, renovated some units. And I just said, okay, wow, you know, this is amazing. And then when I, when I compared that to some of the books and some of the things I was educating myself on, I said, you know, why am I working for, you know, a commission? Why don't I just go out, buy one of these buildings and execute these plans that I've witnessed? Not only have I underwritten them, but I've also spoken to hundreds of people and realized that, you know, I can do this. It wasn't that difficult. It was basically doing what I was doing in the tax deed properties just at scale. So instead of having to buy four, five, six properties and then renovate, it was, I'm going to buy one building that was messed up or had some problems. I was going to go in and I was going to fix those problems based on what I saw people doing. And I, I was just, there was another aha moment that I just said, wow, you know, this is phenomenal. I can, I can take the principles that I've learned as a broker, not only from the cold calling and trying to get listings and trying to find buyers, but I can take that into the multifamily market. I can cold call, find deals, explain my business plan to people, raise money, put the deal together, buy a property, renovate it, stabilize it, and either refinance or sell. So it was just a, that Marcus and Millichamp link was basically everything I needed to, to go out and build the business that we built today. Yeah, awesome. So what specific area you're focusing in your group and what is the reason? Yeah, so right now we are buying, so prior to Corona and prior to 2018, you know, we were buying very distressed properties. Uh, we were buying properties with no occupancy, 100% vacant, uh, 50% occupancy, 60% occupancy with significant deferred maintenance or problems. And then we would come in, we'd fix all the problems, we would get it stable, and then we would leave meat on the bones and sell it and go on to the next one. It's been harder and harder to find those situations. So in 2018-ish, we started buying different types of properties, but still with that same plan in mind buy a property where you can go in, fix some issues, renovate some units, get a higher rent, and then either refinance or sell. And that's sort of what we've done for since 2014. And where we're going with it, you know, obviously we're in the middle of a, or the end, hopefully closer to the end than the middle uh, of a pandemic. And we're going to see how it shakes out, what we're doing now. Uh, similar strategies, just those super distressed properties are harder to find. In addition to that, we have bought in very opportunistic tertiary markets. And the plan going forward is is more primary and secondary markets. So, you know, top 50 or top 75 MSAs in the country, not necessarily a very super tertiary market. One for ease of travel, two for economic diversity, three really good economic fundamentals. And where we've been able to go in and out of business plans in, in you know 12 to 36 months, we are now looking for deals that we can slowly execute a value add over three to five years and look to hold for you know more cash flow, you know, and longer term benefits of real estate. Whereas when we started, it was definitely, you know, let's get in, do what we got to do and, and be done with this. So uh, the direction of us, where we're going now, you know, we have about 800 units in Jacksonville, Florida, 800 units in Columbus, Ohio. Um, we're very comfortable buying properties in the Southeast and the Midwest. And uh, we're going to look to build off those uh, those platforms we've set up. Awesome. So that is the reason your portfolio spread across eight states, right? Correct. We are, you know, we're basically invested south, you know, from North Carolina down to Florida, and then basically as far west as Ohio and Indianapolis. But uh, yes, we are, you know, diversified and uh, strategically spread out, I can say. Okay. Awesome. So and what is your investment criteria in selecting a deal? 
Yeah. So our investment criteria, the first thing, uh, the first thing that we look for is job growth and population growth. Uh, multifamily follows the jobs, right? Wherever there are people moving, where, wherever there are jobs being created, people move. Where people move, they need housing. So we track that stuff pretty closely. Um, we are tracking that on a monthly, quarterly, annual basis to see where there is positive job growth, positive employment, positive population growth. Then after we check those boxes off, we look at the supply and demand. We look at how many units are built, how many units are being built, and how fast those units being built are absorbed. And then, you know, we track all of that and then we operate in the C and B class apartments. So we don't buy class A apartments. We operate in that B and C class space. And, uh, you know, as long as the market's got good job growth, good population growth, and a really good supply and demand metric, you know, we we can set up shop and we start, you know, aggressively making offers and trying to, you know, trying to shake free some deals. With that being said, you know, we do like to see a nice delta between rents at class A apartments and class B and C. So we look to see a really nice spread between where we are and where we want to be and what the next product class is at. Uh, and with that being said, you know, our bread and butter is a, a part property that we could buy, that we could go into and take rents from about five to $700 in an average rent to about seven to $900 in an average rent. That's sort of where we do really well and what we look to execute on. Awesome. So how are you managing your properties during COVID? Yes. So that's been fun, right? I think every day we learn something new about our abilities to, uh, you know, to manage our assets. Uh, right now, you know, we are heavily involved on the day-to-day side with our managers, just making sure we're all on the same page, making sure as all these regulations shake out, you know, wh- what we can do to our tenants, what can we provide for our tenants to provide them some security. Uh, you know, we've worked with tenants throughout this whole period on, you know, obviously we haven't been able to evict in some areas, but even when evictions opened up, you know, we wanted to make sure that we worked with our tenants as much as we possibly could before, you know, we could not anymore. And that was from giving aid, waiving late fees, you know, change. Okay. Hey, you know, you take some money off the rent now, we'll add it to the back end. Uh, so we did everything in our power to help every one of our residents across the board. And we were very well collected throughout this period. And it's just been a, all hands on deck, you know, just getting involved and whatever we can do to help. And whether it's just brainstorming, spitballing ideas, or reading through all these different laws that are being passed and just giving another interpretation, but it's been an all hands on deck effort, you know, just keeping the wheels on the bus while we've been, you know, executing our plans. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. So would you share any setbacks in your multifamily journey? Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're always setbacks. So, you know, I think I'm big on saying this and I'm not the only one, but a successful real estate investor. Yeah you're, you're going to hit roadblocks. I mean, it just happens. So uh, what I say all the time is that a good deal and a good sponsor and a good executor is able to take a d- deal A to Z by having really good network, really good database and being able to identify a problem and fix a problem quickly. So have we had setbacks? Absolutely. You know, we've had contractors not show up. We've had contractors, you know, go over budget. We've had contractors that were not proper. We've had management companies that were stealing money. We've had management companies that don't listen. We've had tenants that have have done crazy things. So setbacks, yes. I mean, if I had to pick one setback, I think it was, you know, understanding the demographics of a market. You know, the last time that we had a presidential election, we lost about two and a half million dollars of proceeds basically right after the election because we were not rate locked and rates went up about, you know, a point and a half. So that was probably the biggest setback we have where we've had a deal for four years and we're actually selling it now. But the biggest problem was, you know, our loan change and it really impacted our business plan. So you know, we've learned from that and, you know, around this time of year and, and an election year, you're a little bit more careful and you're a little bit more choosy and picky. So you 
you don't make that same mistake. And that's not, you know, you make mistakes, people, everyone makes mistakes. You just don't want to make the same mistake twice. And once you identify a mistake, log it, keep a record of it and put a, put a system in place. So you have a check to make sure you don't make that mistake again. Now we have not, we've only had one presidential election since we, you know, really started buying a lot of apartments and we are, you know, we are very aware of that going into this year. So we're, we're in a holding pattern. We're still offering, we're still buying, but uh, we're definitely aware of what could happen, good, bad, or indifferent. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep a close eye on that to see how that impacts the real estate space and interest rates and all that good stuff. So um, that was a major setback because we had to completely change a business plan literally before we even bought the property. So it was uh, exciting, but, uh, you know, we're still living, breathing here today. And, uh, you know, it it didn't knock us out. We got punched in the face, but, uh, you know, we're back at it and and we bought a lot of deals since then and we've been very successful. So you're going to have setbacks. That's without question. Question is how, how can you adapt from your setbacks to turn them into positives? Yes. Awesome. That's so right. And would you tell me about your best apartment investing experience so far? Yes. So our best, my best deal, my best experience happened to be a very, very short string where we got a basically a lead on a deal that we had to move quickly on. Uh, It came through a friend of mine and uh, it was a fractured condo. We ended up buying it. We had like four or five different exit strategies. One was to sell it off as condos. One was to put it back into a multifamily. So, you know, we had it all. And uh, through the process, realized that, you know, this is going really well. And we ended up buying a 80 unit fractured condo. So we bought 72 units. And then over two years, we ended up buying every single apartment back from the HOA. There was seven other owners. We bought them all out. And then we ended up selling that deal. And it was extremely lucrative, extremely profitable and blew away all expectations. But it was a super, you know, it was a very heavy lifting deal. We renovated 100% of the apartments over the life of the hold and ended up being able to sell that for a really nice return to a guy who had a development and we had a piece of property that he needed so he can have access on his agreement. So we sort of had a perfect situation align. Not only did we execute our business plan, but uh, the perfect buyer was at the end of the table waiting for us. So it was an awesome deal. We've parlayed that deal. We've done two 1031s into two other properties. One is a legacy deal that we're going to hold. That's cash flowing at about 13% a year. And the other property is a, you know, we, we 1031 to another property, which we have since sold another great return. And now we've 1031 that one more time. So it was just a awesome opportunity that we got into that it was able to give us, you know, really good proceeds and really good sale proceeds. It really set us up for, you know, some of our best deals coming off of that one. So it was super fun. It was a fractured condo and it was, uh, you know, if I could do it again, I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe we could, I wouldn't believe that we could replicate that because it blew away all expectations. It was really fun. Awesome. So uh, would you share any worst apartment investment experience? Uh, the worst one? I would say the worst one was a, it was a contractor gone bad. We had worked with a contractor and he did a phenomenal job on our property. And then we bought another deal because we were going to use him again and he passed away. Uh, when he passed away, we got left and he was not the owner of the company. He was just a very high up at the company. When he passed away, his boss actually reached out to me and said, don't worry, we're going to take care of you. You know, we value your relationship. And for whatever reason, uh, when he passed away, the wheels came off the bus at the company and they ended up, there was three partners. They ended up stealing money, doing bad things. And and we were in the middle of a renovation. I remember flying out to the property and, and I was walking it and I had two friends with me and, and they both said, you know, because I was extremely frustrated and, and pissed off at the time because I just saw, you know, 
we were getting pictures of units and everything was going according to plan. And we were taking every step necessary to fact check to make sure it was going wrong. And, and it was a, you know, it was a hundred percent vacant property. So we knew there was going to be hurdles and speed bumps. But when I went out there and realized how little he was doing, and one of the investors in the deal just kept sending him the money and I was not in control of the money. I was in control of, you know, the operations and I just, I lost it. Long story short, you know, we ended up being buying that property where I thought it was just going to be a, you know, a break even or potentially a small loss. The market has been amazing. The property is absolutely crushing it. We're hundred percent rented right now. And uh, we were all into the deal for about a million six, a million seven. And at that point, the property was only worth maybe about a million eight, maybe $2 million. But uh, because we did such good renovations and we did such a good job, we actually got an appraisal on that building of over 3.3 or 3.2. I'm sorry. So it was a horrible experience that turned out into a really good story because we did, that contractor stole a lot of money, stole probably, you know, probably North of a half a million dollars, if not more. But because we didn't just give up, and go away. We we are actually able to come through the other end. So it was a horrible experience. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot. And luckily for us, and this is partially luck and partially hard work and partially all of that. Uh, it was probably the worst experience to date. But the silver lining is that you know we stayed the plan. You know, we raised the money and we put it back in and we reinvested it and we found a better contractor and we learned what not to do when working with contractors. Just because you have a good relationship, you know, when the guy passed away and it was all unfortunate. Don't get me wrong, but you know we rolled up our sleeves and and we had to make some sacrifices and we did. And it ended up turning out, you know, great. Now is the deal going to make millions and millions of dollars? No, but we put long-term debt on it. We got a really good interest rate and we're going to hold that deal. It's going to be a legacy deal. It's completely renovated. So we're going to be able to work off that mistake over time. But by far when it was happening, I mean, I was just, I was sitting in my office on a daily basis, just scratching my head. Like, how did this go so poorly when we were so prepared for it? But uh, it taught us a lot. So, you know, that, that horrible lesson, you know, we implicated the same exact strategy on countless deals since then. And now we have certain checks and balances that we put in place. So we, so it doesn't happen again. So bad experience, but you know, we've taken that and we've built, you know, a rock solid business around, you know, not making that mistake again. Awesome. Yep. So what is your current focus on share something you're excited about now? Um. Yeah. So right now, you know, we are looking to tweak the internal processes uh, with the market sort of in a limbo, not knowing what's going to happen. Unemployment rate slowly coming down. There's still a lot of people, you know, tens of millions of people out of work. We are just keeping a close eye on things. Um, we are building the internal processes in our company. So we all have, you know, our main focus and it's like those graphs in school, the circle graphs where they overlap. We all do what we do and then we come together together to, you know, really make the engine go forward. That's what I'm most excited about. Just, you know, seeing how we can use technology and internal checks and balances to really scale our business. What I think we're, you know, very close to launching is our first fund. We're going to roll a fund out there that's going to be focused on uh, multifamily and mobile home parks, where it's going to give investors, you know, the benefit of cash flow, but also the upside. So we're really excited about that. The internal systems that we've built have been really cool. I'm really looking forward to continue building them out. Uh, and then going into Q4, Q, Q1 of 21, I think we're, you know, we're going to look to, you know, roll that fund out and really execute on our raise so we can go place that money and uh, really get our hands dirty and, and uh, you know, find some good deals. Awesome. And thanks for sharing that. And what one advice that impacted you, John? One piece of advice that impacted me? Yes. You know, I know, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty stubborn individual and people used to tell me all the time, you know, don't let people tell you can't do something. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have the best family in the world that never told me I couldn't do something. You know, they always said I could do whatever I wanted. You know, whatever I put my mind to, I can do. So I, that piece of advice is 
has stuck with me. You know, if I put my mind to it and I want to do it, I do it. And that advice I've taken with me day in and day out. And that's something I tell people all the time. You know, if someone says you can't do it, that's not a person you want to be around. You want to be around people that support you and can push you forward. So, you know, the best piece of advice that I got is, you know, just don't take no for an answer. You know, if, if someone says no, it's just, you know, you just have to find another, you have to find another way to get a yes. Yeah. Awesome. So any one book that impacted your life? I think it's not a real estate book, but is a shoe dog, the Phil Knight story about Nike, the, the founder of Nike. It was an awesome book. You know, I tried dabble with books, right? I, I read them and I have them on audiobook. Uh, but that Phil Knight book, uh, Shoe Dog, is a great book because it shows perseverance, not giving up, and just, you know, what he was able to build and the type of person he is. And at the end of the book, there's a story that he tells, which I think everyone should hear. And uh, it really gives you perception on what you're doing. So you, you want to stop, take a breath and make sure you enjoy everything. But for the most part, you know, I think that book was, you know, it's a highly recommended. Everyone should read it. Okay, great. So how are you giving back to community? Yeah. That's actually an awesome question. I'm glad you brought it up. One thing that we always set out to do, even when I first started, was you know to give back. Um, you know, we have a podcast. We have we used to have a meetup group that we would do every month, and it was always free. I never charged anybody. But what we would do, you know, around the holidays, around Thanksgiving, you know, we would tell people to bring you know canned food and make a donation. Around Christmas, bring toys, and we would donate them. So one thing I'm super you know excited about going forward is how I can expand that footprint of giving back. Whether it's you know someone giving me a call and asking me you know a couple of questions where I can prevent them from making a mistake because we've made a ton or whether it's just, you know, finding causes that we believe in and supporting them. I love doing it. I, I wish I could do more. And it's definitely something that's on my 2021 list to, you know, really build out, you know, giving back, whether it's, you know, feeding people that need it, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be, you know, putting clothes on people's backs. But uh, there's a lot of bad things that happen. And if I could be, you know, just one cog in a, in a system that makes it a little bit better for somebody else, I'm a huge believer in that. And so something I truly take pride in because I think, you know, everyone should have, you know, everyone should give back however they can. Awesome. So how can listeners can connect with you? Yeah. No, so the best way to connect with me is on our website. It's Toro, T-O-R-O-R-E-P.com. On there, you could, you know, we have an investor questionnaire. You can fill it out. It'll shoot us an email and, you know, someone from our company will reach out to you or you can reach me uh, on my email. It's john at Toro, T-O-R-O-R-E-P.com. Uh, you shoot me an email. I tell people all the time, you, you got to ask a question. If you don't ask, you're not going to get an answer. And it, with advance notice, you know, whether it's, you know, a day, 24 hours, you know, two days, I will give anybody 30 minutes of my time. It doesn't take a lot for someone to shoot an email and have a couple questions. So the best way is, uh, you know, through our website, or you can reach out to me through email. You can find me on social media. I'm absolutely not the best at social media, but Instagram and or Facebook. Uh, my Instagram is uh, at John underscore JC or on uh, Facebook. It's just John Cohen. And you can find me a black t-shirt, you know, I'm a bald guy with a black t-shirt. So it shouldn't be too hard to find. <laughs> Thank you, John. I really enjoyed the conversation. No, Ram, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I hope all your listeners got some good stuff. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing. Thank you.